T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Good Sunday morning. It is Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer and Brenda Alacy with you until noon. So if you're like me, that's two hours of political talk, an afternoon nap, and then the Bills game at 425. I mean, what a perfect setup to the afternoon. Brenda, good morning. Good morning, Joe. And uh, I am raring to go as well. I'm hoping that there's no power outage so we can enjoy the Bills game. I hope there's no power outage in their offense or defense uh, this week as well. Uh, my little dog, Walter, is across the street at our wonderful neighbors who take him uh, every Sunday so he doesn't join Hardline. And my Siamese cat is sitting on the chair with me. I'm still broadcasting from home. Joe holding down the fort back in our studios in Amherst. And uh, with, uh, with the wonderful advent of all the technological advances, Joe, we can still bring you a power pack show, and we have a good one this week. Um, week in and week out, we try to bring in people from different perspectives and, you know, in, include your calls and comments. So that's always welcome. Our text board is open, the Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board, 716-803-0930. That's the phone number as well. And uh, our first segment, we'll talk with political strategist Victor Martucci, who will be with us in just a moment. Uh, and uh, at around 1035, Erie County Sheriff Tim Howard will join us to talk about uh, his uh, decision not to enforce a Thanksgiving uh, rule about 10 people. He's not going to send his, uh, his staff out to enforce that. At 11 o'clock, uh, the Chief of Catholic Health, Mark Sullivan, he is the CEO and President, will join us. And then at 1135, uh, Niagara County Health Commissioner Dan Stapleton. They've had quite an outbreak um, in various parts of Niagara County, including the legislature, many of the legislators have uh, been struck down by COVID. So we'll talk with Dan and see what's happening in Niagara County. But first, it's always a pleasure to welcome Vic Martucci back to Hardline. Good morning, Vic. Hey, Brenda, Joe, how are you? Doing well, ready to hunker down, and uh, hopefully the wind won't cause a lot of damage. But, uh, gee, you know, what else? It's 2020, the year of uh, craziness happening left and right. We're both. Um, and <laughs> Uh, and that certainly includes uh, a lot of winds of change in the political world. Uh, Vic, your thoughts since we last spoke to you about how things uh, progressed and evolved with the election, certainly an unusual election to say the least. Yeah, so um, I think the last time I was on uh, with you and Joe was 10 days out from election. And at, at that point, um, all of the polling uh, seemed to indicate that the, uh, the vice president, Vice President Biden, was going to uh, win and, and win fairly comfortably. And, and, I, and I stated that on, on your show. Um, but an interesting thing happened. 
uh, in the last five days leading up to the election, the polls in all the battleground states, with the exception of Wisconsin, which is interesting, but all of the key battleground states closed quickly, and they closed quickly towards the president. Um, and so um, I, I did some political analysis the day of the election on one of the local uh, television stations, and they asked me what I thought uh, was going to happen. And I told them at the time, if you had asked me that question a week ago, I would have told you that Vice President Biden was going to win comfortably. But as I sit here this morning looking at these battleground state polls, um, I think it's a toss-up. And and it was a toss-up, and, and the election was very close in, in all of those battleground states. Um, and, you know, we, we, we talk about the narrative. The narrative every four years seems to be blame the pollsters, the polls were wrong. And I know I'm an outlier on this, um, but um, the polls were not wrong. Uh, the polls, if you understand how to read them, interpret them, and use them in your analysis, um, we're not wrong. And uh, I, I would uh, suggest to you that many of the national pundits were wrong, and, and uh, they're certainly not going to admit that, so they blame the polls. Uh, so we shouldn't be surprised at, at, at how close the election uh, turned out. And then the other interesting thing is, is that it was a complete reversal from four years ago, right? Donald Trump won in 2016 with 306 electoral votes, and it now appears that uh, Vice President Biden will win with 306 electoral votes. Vic, uh, when you mentioned that the polls weren't wrong, it seems incredible to me that so many could be wrong. Is it uh, the way that, that people are interpreting it, or is there uh, some connection perhaps with the fact that so many people have given up landlines and can only be reached on their mobile phones? And does that play into that? Well, I, I would suggest that, uh, you know, polling evolves over time. I mean, the good pollsters um, change their technology and their methodology to keep up with uh, the way people um, are contacted. Um, there were outlier polls, and this, is, this probably feeds into the narrative that the polls were wrong. Uh, NBC's poll and CNN's polling were consistently wrong. Um, and uh, they, they consistently showed the vice president ahead and by double digits, not only nationally, uh, but in many of the key battleground states. So I'll leave that up to your listeners to, to uh, decide why that is. Those were outlier polls. Um, the real clear politics average, and, and we've discussed this the last couple times I've been on, um, mm -hmm. I like to look at the average of polls because averaging smooths out for the outliers. The real clear uh, politics average had the vice president winning, Vice President Biden winning the national vote by 7%. But remember, we've talked about this in the past. There's a margin of error in polling, and it's, in this case, it's around plus or minus 4%. So what does that mean? They were predicting, those polls, were predicting that the vice, pre vice president Biden would win by anywhere from 3 percentage points to 11 percentage points. As we sit here today, and they're still counting votes out west in, in heavily Democrat states, uh, Vice President Biden is up by 4%. He'll probably end up winning by about 4.5 percentage points, right in the margin of error. So those polls, those national polls, were not wrong. Um, what was wrong was the way that many of the national experts 
um, interpreted those polls and used them in their analysis. Very interesting distinction. Vic, um, as a political consultant, and uh, you're a partner at uh, Maziello, Martucci, and Calabrese and Associates, uh, what would you tell the president if you had his ear about the way this transition is going and his um, uh, comments that the election was rigged? Would you tell him it's time to make the transition for the sake of the country, both um, for security reasons and also for health reasons as related to COVID? Absolutely, I would. Um, you know, here, here's the bottom line. Uh, there are only three states, technically, that are still in play. Pennsylvania, Georgia, and Wisconsin. Pennsylvania, because the president has a couple of lawsuits before the Supreme Court. Uh, Georgia and Wisconsin, because they're undergoing recounts. Um, that's a total of uh, 46 electoral votes. The president can only win if he sweeps all three of those states. Now, in Pennsylvania, the, um, the lawsuits are based on a uh, Pennsylvania State Supreme Court decision a couple of weeks out from the election that uh, mail-in ballots could be accepted and counted up to three days after Election Day, as long as they were postmarked by Election Day. Pennsylvania election law states that only ballots received by Election Day can be counted. And there's a very valid legal, uh, legal reason to challenge that, because the state legislature is the only body that can, can make election law. However, there are only 10,000 ballots in Pennsylvania that arrived after Election Day and Vice President Biden's lead in Pennsylvania is 66,000 votes. So what does that mean? The president is not going to win Pennsylvania, even if he's successful in that lawsuit and they, and they toss out those 10,000 ballots. Um, he needs all three states to win. So it's over. Uh, and, and the president needs to do what's best for the country. And what's best for the country is um, to follow the history of this great uh, democratic republic and provide for a peaceful and effective transition to the new administration. Um, that's the right thing to do, and um, uh, if I were talking to the president, that's exactly what I would tell him. And I suspect that he's hearing that uh, from many of his advisors. You won't hear that publicly. Um, but my hope is, is that um, he recognizes reality and, uh, and, and he uh, begins to affect uh, uh, a transition. Dick, I can't help but think back about the uh, the Pennsylvania uh, point that Joe Biden made in the debate, which I think he probably regretted saying in the fashion that he did about the uh, oil industry. I thought that that might sway the vote in Pennsylvania to Trump. Were you surprised that Biden won by the margin that he did in Pennsylvania? Well, um, I'm not only because, if, if you recall when, when we talked the last time, I thought that the president made one glaring strategic mistake and that was to discourage his voters from voting by mail. Um, and nearly 48% of Americans voted by mail. And um, in Pennsylvania, I think it was a little bit higher than that. And overwhelmingly, 70% of the ballots, mail-in ballots, um, were, for, for, were for Vice President Biden. And as, as I mentioned uh, um, when we talked the last time, when you, when you put all your eggs in the vote-in-person 
um, basket. Uh, there's all kinds of things that, that come up, right? Life happens. And, and you don't know that you're going to be able to get your voters to the polls. And I think um, uh, when you go, look back on this historically, uh, in the years to come, and people analyze why this election turned out the way it did, um, I think he made a huge mistake in discouraging his voters uh, from voting by mail and ballot. Now, having said that, <laughs> President Trump, as of today, has over 73 million votes, the largest vote total of any presidential candidate in the history of this country that's not named Joe Biden. So, um, you know, he, he certainly uh, got his vote out, um, uh, much more so than he did four years ago. He dramatically outperformed what he did four years ago. Um, but we, did, we weren't in a COVID situation four years ago, and we didn't have the, the number of uh, mail-in ballots that we had this year four years ago. We had over 100 million mail-in ballots this year. Um, four years ago, I think it was around 54 million. So, you know, you do the math, and uh, I think it was a huge strategic mistake on the president's part. Vic, looking to the future, say the president does concede this week or next week, um, and you have those two Senate elections coming up in Georgia, the runoff elections. If you were the Republican Party in Georgia, would you use the president for those uh, runoff elections? No, I don't think I would. Um, I think, you know, in, in runoffs, and Republicans historically have been very successful in runoff elections in states where, where they occur. And that's because um, they're very successful in, in, in keeping those elections local. Uh, and, and in this case, in a Senate race, germane to um, Georgia's. Uh, rather than nationalizing the election. I think the Democrat candidates will try to nationalize it. Um, but I think the Republicans will uh, will try to, to make it specific to Georgia, and um, and and I think they they'll they'll uh, probably do a very effective job in in highlighting the uh, uh, the downside or the negatives of their opponents. Now, in, in the one race um, with uh, uh, Senator Loeffler, who is the incumbent Republican, uh, she was appointed to fill a seat that was vacated by a, uh, a Republican retirement. And in that election on Election Day, there were six candidates running. If you com- and two of them were rep- high-profile Republicans, uh, the senator and a high-profile Republican congressman. Uh, if you combine the two Republican votes, uh, they nearly uh, uh, equaled 50%. And so if the Republican vote coalesces behind Senator Loeffler, I would expect she has a very good chance of winning. Um, the other race, uh, interestingly, um, I would say the Democrat has to be considered the slight favorite because there were three candidates in that race, one of which was a liberal, a minor party candidate. And so you can make the argument that that liberal candidate uh, drew votes from the Democrat candidate. So that one um, is probably a slight advantage to the Democrat Um uh, but the Republicans only need to win one of those two to maintain their majority. The other interesting thing on Election Day, by the way, that's going to have a lot of uh, 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 that's going to have an impact on on at least the next two years of, of federal uh, politics and federal government is the fact that the Republicans 
as of this morning, have picked up a net nine seats in the House of Representatives, and it's likely that they'll add a, uh, a tenth. Um, and so what that does is it, it, it uh, narrows the margin of uh, Speaker Pelosi's conference, um, and I think it opens up an opportunity for moderate Republicans and Democrats in the House to work with the Senate and work with a President Biden who is an institutionalist, um, who is more likely to, to try and get things done rather than be ideological. Um, and, and that could be a good thing for the country over the next year or two. Vic, Vic uh, I'm, 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 I'm sorry, sorry, Brenda. Um, looking past January 20th, uh, 2021, what would, if you were advising the Republican Party, what would President Trump's role be from here on out? Well, I, I think the Republican Party has to move beyond beyond President Trump, um, and and I say this, and this is my opinion. Um, I say this more on style and leadership rather than um, rather than policy. Uh, what, when when we look back on this past four years from a policy perspective, if you're a conservative, if you're an ideological conservative. Um, the president did a lot of good things um, in, in, in terms of uh, what he was able to accomplish um, uh, in, in government, not the least of which is um, uh, leaving behind a 6-3 uh, conservative majority on the Supreme Court and having appointed um, over 100 uh, conservative federal judges around the country. So if you're a conservative, that's all a good thing. Um, the Republican Party has to plan for the post-Trump era. And, and, and one of the things that I think they can learn um, from, from the president's uh, efforts in 2020 is there's an opportunity, particularly in battleground states, to go out and register Republicans um, that, have, that are not currently registered and have not participated in elections. Um, those are people that demographically fit the Republican profile, um, and they can register those voters and continue to make gains in the House um, and in the Senate. But I also think that the Republican Party needs to reinvent itself a little bit. Um, there's an opportunity for the Republican Party to be the party not just of middle-class white voters, but all middle-class voters in this country. Um, and that includes minorities. And there's a vast majority of those people um, that can benefit from some of the type of po some of the policies, economic policies um, that were promoted by uh, by President Trump. I'll, I'll give you one example um, where I think he was right and I was wrong. I have always been a free trader, um, and I did not like in the beginning uh, the way he handled uh, trade with with China. Um, he was right. The president was right. We need to rebuild our, our, our manufacturing base in this country, if only because from a national security perspective. And we learned that painfully um, when the pandemic hit. And most of the PPE and the ventilators were being produced in, in countries that are, are our geopolitical adversaries. We can never let that happen again. Um, and And we're going to have to pay a little bit more. Americans are going to have to pay a little bit more for that because we, we don't pay our, our employees slave, slave wages like they do in China and other places. 
Um, but we have to do that, in my opinion. I think that's a great point, Vic. And, and you highlight the fact that there is such a huge disparity because if you think of the population base in China and some of the other countries in the Far East, uh, and even in Asia, like India, for instance, how do you possibly compete with those low wages? But, you know, you just pay more. Uh, and I think you're absolutely right about that point. Really quickly, um, Vic, a couple of people have texted in. Somebody is asking, why did uh, more than 600,000 votes quietly disappear on the Edison voting system in New York State five days after Election Day? I don't know if that is, in fact, the case. Have you heard anything about that? I, I haven't, and you know we're 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 in silly season right now, right? Um, the election's <laughs> over, and you have all kinds of conspiracy theories floating around out there. Um, conspiracy theories don't help. If there's evidence out there of fraud, um, it should be it should be prosecuted. There's no question. Uh, because the the integrity of our election system is probably the most important and sacred right that we have in this country. And I don't see or have not heard or read about any evidence, and I say evidence, not not theories, not rumors, but evidence, that there was widespread fraud, enough widespread fraud, to change the outcome of the election. Having said that, where they can prove it, it should be prosecuted because that should serve as a reminder and a lesson for anybody that is considering tampering with elections that they'll go to jail if they get caught and they get prosecuted. Um, that's an important thing to do, but that's not going to change, in my opinion, the outcome of the election. Integrity of elections is absolutely, uh, you know, paramount in our in our society and our, our form of government. But another texter asks, what about the proving of fake votes by software programs? Any any uh, opinion on that, Vic? Well, again, I, I, I mean, there's there's just all kinds of all kinds of rumors floating around out there, um, and, uh, uh, I, I, and unless there's solid evidence that it occurred. Um, I just don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, to be honest with you, um, because we go through this every election cycle, uh, and and it, and this isn't just recent. I mean, there's there, there's been evidence of, of of voter fraud going back decades and decades and decades, um, but in and but in the end, that evidence never proved um, to overturn the result of an election. And that's really what we're talking about here. First and foremost, is there enough um, uh, tainted ballots out there based on any hard evidence of voter fraud that will change the outcome of the election? Um, I don't believe there is. Uh, but secondly, then, uh, the, the, the integrity of the voting system needs to be maintained, and that requires prosecuting um, uh, fraud where it exists because ultimately the public needs to have confidence in the outcome of the election. And, and I would say finally that, you know, that's my, my biggest concern with, with what the president is doing right now, is casting doubt on the outcome of the election. That does not serve any positive purpose um, in our country. And he should know better than anybody, because that was done to him four years ago. Um, the other side said that he was an illegitimate president, uh, and it made it very difficult for the president to govern right out of the box. So he knows 
the impact of that. And at some point, we have to put our individual interests and our party interests aside and do what's best for the country. And what's best for the country is a smooth and peaceful transition to a new administration. And um, as Americans, we should be, whether we're Republican or Democrat, we should be rooting for the president to succeed, for pre- uh, President Biden to succeed. Because if he doesn't succeed, we, we all fail. Um, our country fails. So that would be my message. And, and, and I'm a Republican, so that, that, that's how I view things. Vic Martucci from Massiello, Martucci Calabrese and Associates. Thank you so much, Vic, for your time this morning. Always appreciate your interest. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Welcome back to Hardline here on News Radio 930 WBEN. Joe Beamer and Brenda Alacy with you. Taking uh taking you right up till noon. Usually your Buffalo Bills pregame, but there's four hours separating our show and the Bills game. Actually, four hours and 25 minutes, Brenda. I don't want to give people fake news. That's true. <laughs> yes, we guard against fake news. And I'm really happy that the game isn't in Buffalo this week because of the wind. It would have been crazy. So let's hope the Bills can uh, pull it off in the southwest. That's right. T- uh, Tyler Bass does not need the wind. <laughs> I'm not sure what he needs at times. But uh, we're here to talk uh, politics, current events, and uh and it's really a, an honor to have Erie County Sheriff Tim Howard on the line with us. Good morning, Sheriff. Good morning. Pleasure to join you. Thank you so much for uh, joining us on a Sunday morning. And, uh, Sheriff, you, you made some news on Friday when you stated that you are not interested in enforcing Governor Andrew Cuomo's new mandate about indoor gatherings uh, on Thanksgiving. And uh, as you well know, the governor has issued new rules for gatherings in certain public places. What, uh, what, what sort of sparked your, your uh, view on this particular mandate that the governor put out? Well, I believe that the governor's uh, recent executive order um, grossly exceeded the legitimate authority of government. Um, they're encroaching into the privacy of our, our own homes. And for him to threaten that there would be law enforcement action to break up Thanksgiving dinner just um, is beyond all my reasons. Um, I, w- I would say the feasibility of anyone in the Erie County Sheriff's Office um, breaking up a Thanksgiving dinner because there was more than 10 people right, right alongside you with us um, checking your, your furniture, your pillows to make sure you haven't removed the labels off of them. <laughs> like the mattress tag, I suppose. Um, so, I mean, sheriff- I don't know if it's around anymore, but. 
Yeah, right. Sheriff, how, even if you did agree with the mandate, it, it seems to me it would be totally impractical to enforce something like this. Well, I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, I, I know that uh, in my police career I've encountered, I guess you'd say, two types of parents. So when they're introducing their child to a police officer, some parents would say, um, these are the police, and if, you, if you're bad, um, these people are going to come and take you away and put you in jail. And then other parents that would say, these are the police. If you ever get in trouble, these are the people you want to seek out and find because they will help you. Um, the governor pretends to uh, care about restoring the public's trust in police. And, and to do that threatens that it's the police that will come to your home if you have more than 10 people. I mean, the, the, I think the way to approach this, and I know there's a, a, a scientific study on what they call plan change, um, but it's to engage the people, to educate the people, to facilitate the, the people in making good decisions. And it's not for the government to come in and force us to do what the government um, thinks is best. Our forefathers um, warned us about this at the, um, the, the beginning days of, our, of the formation of the United States government. Um, the unique thing about the United States is our, our liberty, our freedom. And, and we're seeing it disappear um, by the day, um, using, I think, as an excuse, uh, the, the coronavirus. Sheriff, what would you say to folks who maintain that uh, it's dangerous to have more than 10 people, for example, or a large crowd, uh, you know, leaving the number out, because the, uh, of COVID being so uh, contagious, so infectious? Uh, is there some argument to be made in your mind that there should be a limit as to the number of people who gather at any given place? Um, I think that we should leave that to the scientists, to the medical experts that would, would tell us about that. But in the end, we cannot force the people to do um, what is good for them within their own homes. We have to um, leave them with the personal responsibility. And it's not the government's responsibility to protect them from themselves. It's the government's responsibility to protect them from the government. Um, but in the end, I would say make sound, rational decisions. Um, there are risks and in, 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 uh, weigh the risks against the benefits. Um, but I hate to think that, that uh, some family or some grandchild may never have seen or, or been photographed with a, a grandparent because of the governor's executive order. Um, I would think that now myself, if I was facing a criminal illness and this was the last opportunity I might, I might have to hug a family member or hug my grandchildren. Um, if, if doing that hastened my demise, then I think it would be worth it. But I, I think those are decisions people have to make for themselves and not have the governor make them for us. Sheriff, has the state been in contact with you? Um, you mean someone from the state um, threatening me, you mean, or telling me that I was bad? I, I talk to state officials on a daily basis about this about the covid restrictions um not specifically about the statement that i just made but yes we talked with government people about the um enforcement efforts and whatever but again not specifically about this about this about most recent executive order Sheriff, uh, you oversee a, a huge department and it includes not only uh, your, your deputies and staff, but also um, the holding center. What t types of precautions do you take for the safety of both 
uh, your staff, the law enforcement officers, and uh, the prisoners who are in these facilities? Well, to go back to, I guess, last March, um, we recognized the threat of what was ahead of us, um, the uncertainty of it. We, we formed our own um, task force within the agency. Um, I'm proud to say that within our agency, we, um, in the beginning, when things were not available, we made our own masks. We had um, wonderful local corporations contacting us, um, offering um, exclusively to law enforcement um, different materials that we needed to, to maintain a safe environment. Um, we did make some tough decisions in canceling visitations and other things within the jail to keep that population safe. I am proud to say that, that uh, no inmate ever contracted um, this virus within our facility. We had a few of them that came in that had tested positive. They were isolated, and it never spread further. Um, unfortunately, we had about a dozen of our employees, maybe more now, that contracted it. Not uh, No indication that they contracted it at work, but um, in, their, in their personal lives, and it never spread further. Um, we did some things that, that uh, were, no doubt uh, were expensive, but we um, minimized the number of deputies having contact with each other at, at shift changes, and including um, increasing the number of take-home cars or deputies that were directly passing their vehicle from the, the same person every day. Um, the... the um, I guess, I guess it, it, certainly more than that, but, but uh, we've both been lucky and grateful that, that we haven't had any large breakout either at the jail or within our own workforce. I would think it's somewhat of a logistical nightmare to have to you know, clean, sanitize, even shift changes. What you mentioned, Sheriff, about the, uh, the officers or the deputies in their vehicles, uh, it's, uh, it's got to be tough to maintain that type of protocol day in and day out with no end in sight with this pandemic. Has that cost the department any additional dollars to maintain those protocols? Well, it, it definitely did. Um, we spent quite a bit of money on, on the, as a result of this, um, over time as well. Um, we've had people going out doing special assignments, um, protecting other facilities, testing facilities to maintain order, um, the COVID hospital um, so we've we've uh, had additional expenses as a result of this. Um, I'd like to say once again, we we did this in order to uh, maintain, protect our own workforce, so that we could continue to protect the public. Um, but we we did this with the public's best intention in in mind. And, and sheriff, I read a report this morning that uh, I just learned about a little while ago about um, inmates accusing uh, a jail sergeant uh, at the Erie County Holding Center of sexual contact. Do you have any official word on that? Um, it was already investigated by our staff and found not to be true. And I, I should say, unless you're reading some report that's um, something more recent, but I, I doubt that's the case unless it was a report that came out in the last hour that I don't know about it. But I, I know that particular incident was in, investigated and found um, not not to be true. Um, okay. It's a, it's actually rather a, a, a regular, somewhat a regular occurrence that inmates accuse staff of um, not treating them properly. But uh, in largest number of cases, it's found not to be so. Um, however, what it is true. 
um, we pursue it and take appropriate administrative actions. Um, I, I read it this morning uh, by Matt Spina in the Buffalo News. So you obviously have uh, internal investigations because, as you state, uh, Sheriff, that, that happens a lot. Um, so I imagine you have your own system in place for those types of complaints. You know, the Department of Justice group was one of the things that they reviewed a few years ago when they were back and found absolutely nothing to nothing lacking in our in our policies and our practices as it uh, goes to misconduct, alleged uh, misconduct by our staff being properly investigated. And, and again, in the rare cases where it's found to be true that we take the, the proper administrative action as is allowed by on both collective bargaining and, and past decisions of arbitrators. Sheriff Howard, not to downplay COVID-19 or anything, but is there something that you would like to remind people as we get to the holiday season, uh, something that they might, you know, not know is going on, something they might ignore because of COVID, just to keep on their mind as they go into the holidays? Um, I guess just, just give a lot of thought to everything that you do, anything that you do, um, and is this responsible? I mean, occasionally we do things that are that are dangerous. Um, we take risks, but we take risks where there's a, a justifiable or a, 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 a true reward at the end of that. Um, but to go out and engage in reckless or irresponsible conduct endangers you, um, your family, and the public. So refrain from that. But I don't also say... It's very important that we really pay attention to our willingness to allow the government to take control of our of our personal lives. I mean, if you've never read the Declaration of Independence and the the, the preamble and the Constitution and the Bill of Rights, then 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 do that and question government and listen to the warnings that were given us by our forefathers. I I would say if we're running out of time that that uh, I I played I thought of some of our patriotic songs and. Their mention of liberty, and 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 I can't get beyond um, my country, tis of the sweet land of, of liberty, and, and all of the different words of that, and and again, it, our whole country and everything about the United States, is our most basic belief is about our personal liberty, and we need to protect it as much as we need to protect ourselves from from COVID. We need to protect ourselves from that, and remember, I think it was Daniel Webster that said that our government promises to govern wisely, but what they're telling us is that they intend to govern, and that's, that's not, um, you know, they, that they will be good masters, but in saying that, they're, they're expressing their desire to be our masters, and that is not the way our government was designed to operate. Sheriff Howard, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to talking to you again, and have a great holiday season. Please be safe, everybody. Be responsible and be safe. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Brenda, that was uh, Sheriff Tim Howard. If you'd like to comment on uh, anything that's going on politically with COVID, with the election, 803-0930. The Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board also open at 803-0930. You know, Brenda, it's funny. Last night um, went out and around 10 o'clock, I said, oh, let's, uh, let's hit up one of my favorite establishments just to remember that, oh, that's right, everything closes at 10 o'clock now. Yeah, you know, it's funny you say that, Joe, because I was talking to somebody the other day, and, and uh, I'm a night owl, and I usually like to go out later, too, and it's like, well, you got to be out by 10. <laughs> I feel like I'm back in high school again or something. It, it just, uh, uh, it's uh, a very odd world that we are certainly living in right now, and I, I'd be very curious to know what our listeners think of Sheriff Howard's 
uh, opinion that he is not going to send his staff out. His deputies will not be uh, peeking in your window uh, on Thanksgiving Day. Do you think he's correct about that? Or do you think that it's uh, endangering our families if we gather more than 10 people? My question, Joe, was like, how did they come up with this arbitrary number of 10? Um, I Listen, I, uh, I have a healthy fear of COVID-19 and try to do the responsible thing that we've all heard over and over again, talk about, you know, beating a dead horse, you know, wash your hands, wear a mask, socially distance, all that good stuff. But I, I often wonder, how do they determine these numbers? Is it some arbitrary thing that they pick out of the air or, you know, is well, there scientific evidence behind it? You know, hey, I'm all about being cautious. Uh, I've, I know people who have had COVID-19, obviously. Um, so I'm all about being cautious, not doing anything stupid, not, you know, getting in big crowds. I, I, I'm all on board with that. But a lot of the rules they make or a lot of the restrictions they make, the limitations, where's the numbers? Where's the studies that say, okay, we can only have this many people at a table, four at a table, or we can only have 10 people at your house, or gyms are where we are seeing um, community spread. Where? Where's the proof of that? Because we've talked to gym owners here in Western New York, and they say they haven't been contacted by contract tracers, or contact tracers, I'm sorry. Uh, the same with restaurants. You know, we've talked to restaurant owners. They said in the last eight months, they have not been contacted by a contact tracer. So where's the study? Where's the information? And why can't we get that data um, to know why the 10 number is at home? Why 33% at gyms? Why only four to your table? And I noticed too that, uh, you know, movie theaters finally reopened and then Regal shut them down again in New York. You know, the, the impact is just uh, tremendous on, on area businesses. And it's a very tough thing to juggle. You know, one's concern about COVID versus one's survival uh, as a business and trying to survive in this economy is, is a tough putt to say the least. You know, there, but there's so many inconsistencies, Joe. And, and in a way, I want to give these people a pass too because, you know, from the president on down, it was a very fluid situation. And so things were changing on a day-to-day -day basis. But I try to rely on what the scientists say because they study this stuff day in and day out. So you try to make a determination based on what scientists are saying. Is this practical? Are, are they fear-mongering? Uh, are people who deny it, you know, crazy? Um, you see these huge crowds that are out now because of the election. I, I just think that there's huge, huge outbreaks that will happen because of that, because yep. the disease is so highly infectious. Yeah, and, and I, I was talking about this when I sat in for David on Friday. It, it is funny how the people who are out celebrating on Saturday – got a pass, as you say, but then those who stormed the field at Notre Dame, uh, the school wrote a letter uh, scolding and lecturing to these students that decided to have a little fun over a upset victory in double overtime. Brenda, let's uh, go to the phones real quick and talk to Brenda in Buffalo. Brenda, good morning. Good morning. How are you two doing? Good, Brenda. Nice to talk to another Brenda. There's not a whole lot of us out there. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes when I hear them calling your name, sometimes I have to turn and look. Oh, that's on the radio. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to the show. What's on your mind? Yeah, I was listening to the show, and I've only been listening for a few minutes because uh, I was in church, and uh, I, I even left church. But um, I was wondering, you know, I know it's, it's odd hearing the government tell us to do certain things, but I feel that only, they're only giving us guidelines to follow more so than they and in, in order to try to bring the, the rates back down, 
And I, I think in many ways, um, what would you rather be doing? Would you like to, would you like to cry about the, the, the things every day, or do you want to be sitting crying over a loved one that's lost? You know, those are the different types of tears. So I, I, I uh, was wondering, what other options do they have to hear it? They always say to hear the truth is not always uh, the best is actually knowing what it is. It's when you hear it that it seems like it's even worse, but it's the truth either way. We have to bring the rates and we have to be the, bring the percentage back down. So that means everybody has to play a part. Now, I was going to ask um, uh, Bella Bia, I'm going to, and I probably will ask him, if you being in the Army, would you rather be with somebody that doesn't conform to the, the service laws and work as a team, or would you rather everybody in your unit have their own mindset, putting everyone else in danger. And, I, and, and I'm going to tell you about something of a movie that I saw, The Towering Inferno. I don't know if y'all remember when the chief and them was getting ready to take this, this big heavy thing down. They had to go down this, uh, uh, I think it was a way, or, uh, and him and his firefighters, one of the firefighters put in the fact that they were scared. They couldn't do it. They said, I can't do it. And then... Um, uh, the chief said, okay, then we're going to let you go first because when you fall, you ain't taking the rest of us with you. <laughs> right. It becomes a domino effect. You're absolutely right. Well, I think that certainly the, uh, you know, what you point out about what David Bellavia would say about the Army or anybody who served in the military, you conform. It's the whole point of boot camp. The, you know, you're going to work as a unit. We're going to break you down. You're going to follow orders, and we have to work as one. But in, in everyday society, Brenda, it's a much tougher hill to climb. Yeah, I understand. I understand it because everybody thinks for themselves. And, uh, and, and me, you know, I, I can, uh, my, even if my family, you know, I have friends that aren't conforming and they don't conform. However, I love them from a distance. If they don't have a mask on, I wave at it and not acknowledge them, but I keep on stepping, no conversation, nothing. You know, I said, and people who listen to the show week in and week out have heard me say this ad nauseum, but I always say I'd rather wear a mask than a ventilator. Now, do I like to wear a mask? But no, but uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I don't want to be in a hospital, nor do I want to bring anything home to loved ones. Uh, I just hope that we can find a vaccine soon and uh, it get, take some control over this virus uh, because I don't like the trend that I'm seeing as we get into the winter months. But you know what? I always feel... Your own precaution is the first act. You preserving yourself is the first act. And, and then the, uh, the virus, uh, when it comes, it will be that, that will be the next thing. But we ourselves have to look for our, at our health ourselves. Brenda in Buffalo, thank you so much for the call. When we come back, we are talking to Mark Sullivan of Catholic Health. I'll get an update of what's going on there. And we'll be talking to you as well and Dan Stapleton at 11.30. So one hour down, one great hour to go after the news here on WBEN. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See t 
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.